For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now have mer received mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Romans eleven thirty through 32. Good morning. So uh, this doesn't often happen to me because I'm pretty, uh, what's the word? A prepared person. I, I'm very meticulous in preparation. But this morning when we were in prayer uh, back there as I was praying, listening to other people pray, a thought came to me, you know, you really left something out of your message. And so I go, oh, bummer. And so I just would like to sort of hit this right at the beginning, and I'm going to hang a banner over it. And we've covered it as we've walked through Romans 9 through 11. It's been said a number of times, but I didn't say it in the message, and I want to say it now leading into the message. And so I don't have an overhead, overhead for this, but let me just read just one example. And what I'm talking about uh, is human responsibility for sin, that we are responsible for our own sinful acts as human beings. And in Romans uh, 10.3, Paul says, and he's speaking to the Jews, but I think it applies to all, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They made a choice to not submit to God's righteousness. It was their responsibility their sin of not submitting to God, disobeying God, not believing the truth that God has said. So with that said, that banner over this message that we as humans are responsible for our own disobedience, and it'll become clear why I need to say that as we go. Our passage, which Dina read for us this morning, is close to Paul's conclusion of Romans chapters 9 through 11. I say close because there are four more verses to follow. However, those verses don't address the content of what's gone before. Instead, they're really Paul's emotional outburst. He's sort of like you can, as you read it, he's like, I can't contain myself anymore. I have to burst forth into worship. And this worship comes in response to what Paul himself, inspired by the Spirit of God, has, has just written. We'll look at these final verses of Romans 11 next week, but let me read them now so we can see how Paul reacts to what we're going to look at today. Uh, beginning in verse 33, Romans chapter 11, we read, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? No one is the rhetorical answer. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one. For from him, from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So this declaration of God's glory, which comes at the end of Romans 11, and as we'll see in two weeks, leads into Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Ah, yay. It could be, this declaration could be in response to what was written in 9 through 11, just the whole thing, but it certainly is a response to what Paul has just written. Specifically, what we saw last week 
and what we'll see today. So let me uh, just review last week. We saw that at this time in history, uh, uh, from Paul's day to ours today, and, and moving forward, we don't know how far, even though Israel as a whole has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ and is not, again, as a nation, as a people being saved, there are individuals being saved, the remnant, but for the most part, they're not being saved. That is not the end of the story. That's what we saw last week. Because at some point in the future, all, Paul writes, not every individual, but the vast majority of physical Israel will be saved by God's grace through putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because as Paul wrote in verse 29 of Romans chapter 11, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He didn't say because they're going to a light's going to flash, and they're going to, finally, I get it. It's because God will call them to himself. He will, he will remember, if you will, his gifts to them, and they're irrevocable. This is one, if not the main point of Romans 9 through 11. Paul wants his, his Gentile readers, the church in Rome, to see the perfect faithfulness of God. He wants them to understand that even though Israel has rejected God, they wouldn't say that, they've rejected Christ as their Messiah, and in a sense rejected God's gift to them. God has not rejected them. This is what we saw last week. God's perfect faithfulness to Israel, and he's writing this to the Gentiles to let the Gentiles know, therefore God will be perfectly faithful to you, to the promises given to you Gentile believers. And this alone should cause a spontaneous outburst of worship. But there's more. Verses 30 through 31, Paul uh, gives a brief summary of the main point of chapter 11. Namely, uh, God's plan of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. And for those, you know, there's the Jews and then the non-Jews, that's Gentiles. So really all people. God's salvation plan for all people. But he divides it, and he'll divide it here, into Jews and Gentiles. And then in verse 32, he again briefly but profoundly gives us the reason for this plan, for God's plan. He tells us why he did what he did, why he did it this way. So in these verses, this is sort of a preview of what we're going to see. In these three verses, Paul summarizes how God has sovereignly and faithfully guided redemptive history for his purposes, for his glory and for our good, for our salvation. We'll see that God has worked to fulfill his irrevocable gifts and calling uh, for humanity's good by saving both Jews and Gentiles and for his glory, that his glorious mercy might be revealed, that all might see his, his compassion. That's really the, what mercy is. It's, it's compassion, undeserved compassion. Really undeserved compassion when you're speaking biblically. Undeserved compassion on a disobedient, rebellious people. That's mercy from God. So as Paul records God's perfect faithfulness in providing salvation for both Jews and Gentiles, and thus putting his uh, as mercy on display, this causes him, this is what causes him, uh, immediately anyway, to break forth in God-glorifying worship. And, and I pray that as we examine these verses a little more closely today, 
My goal, my prayer, is that we'll be moved uh, to a greater, a, a higher, a, a deeper, uh, a clearer understanding of who God is and what He's done. Understanding His plan. And that understanding will move us to uh, an emotional response, a heart response of worship. And, and, and that that response wouldn't be just for today, but that response would be... Uh, 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 built into our lives. And then when we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you know, uh, there's a reason there's 11 chapters before it. When call, call, Paul calls us to be living sacrifices that we were made for the, the worship of God, we can go back to this and understand why. So in these verses, 30 through 32 of Romans 11, Paul summarizes God's four-phase plan of salvation. And the first phase is the time of Gentile disobedience. Speaking to the Gentiles, Paul writes, For just as you, Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, disobedience, interestingly enough, is this Greek word apatheia. Probably. Apathy. You know, there's, some, there, there's a thing there. Uh, and it really means sort of two things. To not obey and to not believe. Disbelief and disobedience. It's really the, the sin of unbelief. Paul isn't speaking uh, uh, of these uh, things just to... Gent Excuse me. Paul isn't speaking to these Gentile Christians, just so we know, about their personal disobedience prior to coming to Christ. For just as you were at one time disobedient, he's not talking to these specific individuals about their pre-salvation experience. He's speaking about a time in redemptive history. The time before Jesus came. The time when Gentiles, for the most part, lived in disobedience and unbelief to God. Paul refers to this time in Acts 14, verse 16, where he says, In past generations, he, God, allowed all the nations, the, the Gentiles, to walk in their own ways. God, for a time, allowed uh, Gentiles to live in disobedience and unbelief to him. And just like we've seen when Paul uh, speaks about Israel, remember, we've done this a number of times, he kind of uses Israel, and he's really speaking... Uh, not of all of Israel, but the vast majority of Israel, because he speaks of Israel and he speaks of uh, the remnant. He Israel being uh, Israel not following after God, but he's following after God. And there's a remnant that follow after God that trusts God. And so, in the same way, here he's 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 when he talks about Gentile disobedience, he's not referring to every single Gentile in this time, period of time. He's thinking of Gentiles as a whole. We know this because throughout history, even before Christ came, individual Gentiles turned from uh, their disobedience, their unbelief. They repented and they believed they were saved. There was uh, the mysterious Melchizedek, if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 14, not a Jew, but a priest of the Most High God. And there were the Ninevites who repented when Jonah preached to them. There was Ruth, a Moabitess woman, she got a whole book in the Bible about her. And Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho who trusted God and helped the, the spies to conquer Jericho. And there, there are others. So when Paul talks about the, this time of Gentile disobedience, he doesn't mean that there was no such thing as obedience among Gentiles during this time period. He simply means, as a whole, and this will become uh, clearer why, why I'm making this point, 
It was a time of unbelief and disobedience. This time before Christ with Gentiles. A time when God let them go, if you will. As Paul writes in Romans 1.28, speaking of the Gentiles. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, to believe God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So that's the first phase. The time of Gentile disobedience. Then the second phase is the time of Jewish disobedience. Again, verse 30, going into verse 31. And just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, phase one, but now have received mercy because of their, Israel's, disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient. Now, before we focus on the mercy... Uh, the mercy part shown to the Gentiles recorded here. God, God shows to the Gentiles that after this long period of their disobedience, notice that the mercy comes because of their, the Jews' disobedience, the Jews' unbelief. It's related. So the second phase in God's plan is the time of Jewish or Israel's disobedience. And when is this time? Because we know that throughout history, again, uh, from the time God chose Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people, Israel, like all peoples, have disobeyed God. The historical record of Israel in the Old Testament is filled with uh, stories of their unbelief and their disobedience. But it's also filled with stories of their obedience, their turning to God, their trust in God. They had their ups and downs with their relationship with God. They'd fall away from God, but then God in His mercy would call them back. God is working among them during the Gentile time of obedience. And so this time of Jewish disobedience isn't referring to their disobedience throughout history. It's referring specifically to the time that begins with their rejection, their unbelief of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. The decision, the decisive disobedience of Israel was her refusal to trust in, to believe in Jesus Christ. We know this is what Paul had in mind because this is the disobedience, this specific disobedience that resulted in the mercy to the, coming to the Gentiles. Back in verse, uh, no, in verse 30 we read, For just as you, Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. We've also seen this uh, already in Romans 11. It was through Israel's rejection of the gospel that salvation came to the Gentiles. Through their trespass, in verse 11, Paul writes, their sin of unbelief, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And we went over why that was. We went over what it would look like if all of Israel would have suddenly believed. Maybe the gospel would have never gone to the Gentiles in the way it did. We were speculating, but we do know that God says that it, through the trespass, the unbelief of Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Jesus makes the same point in the parable of the wicked tenants in Matthew chapter 21. When the tenants rejected and killed the son, remember, number of... The, 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 the owner of the, the field sent a number of people, finally sent his son to collect the rent. They killed the son. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Because you, speaking of Israel, rejected the son, 
Jesus Christ, the kingdom will pass over to the Gentiles, to those who obey and trust in me. That's what Paul means by this word because in verse 30. Now you Gentiles have received mercy because of Israel's disobedience. They're not trusting in Jesus Christ, their rejection of Christ. So we've, we've seen half of God's uh, four-phase plan so far, and, and it doesn't really give us much hope. It's all about like disobedience and stuff, right? The time of Gentile disobedience and a time of Jewish disobedience. But before we get to phases three and four, we need to make sure we're understanding something, something that may be shocking uh, to some. And what that is, is God's plan always included disobedience. God's plan always included disobedience. God's plan of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles has always included the disobedience of both Jews and Gentiles. That word always is key because it's possible to read verses 30 through 31, what we've read so far, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, Gentiles, but now have received mercy, Gentiles, because of Israel's disobedience, so they too have been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they also may now receive mercy. So you can see, okay, again, just reading that, the intertwineness of Israel's, uh, the Gentiles' disobedience, the Israel's disobedience, Gentile mercy, and Israel mercy. And those are really the four phases. But, but, but what I want us to see is reading that, you might think that God is just reacting to the disobedience of both the Gentiles and the Jews. That their disobedience is not necessarily part of his original plan, if you will. And that God makes the best of a bad situation by using the disobedience of Israel to grant mercy to Gentiles, and then the mercy he grants to the Gentiles leads disobedient Israel to also receive his mercy. And so for some, this is how they choose to view this, how they choose to view God. It seems that they feel they need to explain God's motives or his methods to get God off the hook, as it were. God would never plan uh, disobedience. He would never plan unbelief or sin. And so instead of believing that God's eternal plan always included disobedience, both for the Jews and the Gentiles, all people, they want to say that because of human sin, disobedience, God had to react, adjusting, if you will, his plan to deal with sin. But the problem with that view is it doesn't fit with what the Bible teaches about God. Scripture is clear. God is... Uh, the creator. God is all-powerful, and he's sovereign, in control of all things. Just one example. Through the prophet Isaiah, God declares, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I knew it all before it happened. I'll, 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 I know it all at the end. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will always accomplish my purpose. Does this sound like someone who just makes the best out of a bad situation? Or does this sound like one who's in control, leading and guiding history for his purposes? I vote for the latter. 
And this, God's sovereign control over human disobedience for his purposes, is, a, is attested to in the next verse, in verse 32. Of these two uh, times of disobedience, the first by the Gentiles and the second by the Jews, verse 32 shockingly says, For God has consigned all to disobedience. What? God has consigned all to disobedience. And by all, again, we'll, he's, he's not every individual person. He's talking about all Jews, all Gentiles, these groups. And that word consigned is, is really interesting, and, it, and it's crucial. Uh, notice he didn't say caused. God has caused all to disobey, or all to be in disobedience. He didn't say forced. He didn't say made. But he also didn't say used. God has used all the disobedience. He didn't say God has worked in all disobedience. He chose this word, I think, uh, for the purpose of, of showing that he is active in the disobedience without causing, without uh, causing the disobedience. Because this word means to shut up, to enclose, to bind, to include. It's really only used four times in the New Testament, two of which, this one and two others, which are translated imprisoned. Paul is saying that God has perf purpose, perp purposefully consigned, I don't know if imprisoned would work here, all to disobedience. He's taking an active role to make sure all are in shut up and closed in dis disobedience. And I'll admit, I'm not fully certain uh, about everything that this means, but I am certain it seems clear that it means God's plan has always included disobedience. He's at work here. In, in consigning all to disobedience. Or I could say that disobedience, unbelief, sin, was needed to carry out God's plan. Therefore, God has consigned all to disobedience. We should also note that even though uh, it's true, all people, every individual has been disobedient for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Paul writes, God has consigned all to disobedience, he's not speaking about individuals. He's speaking about these, these two groups, these Jews and Gentiles. God consigned both Jews and Gentiles to disobedience. In phase one, God consigned the Gentiles as a whole to disobedience. And in phase two, God has consigned the Jews as a whole to disobedience. And the obvious question is, uh, why? Well, I think it is. It was obvious to me. Why would, why did God consign both Jews and Gentiles to disobedience? Why was disobedience part of God's plan of salvation? I mean, if there was no disobedience, the plan would have been much simpler, right? Does that make sense? It would have been, it wouldn't have needed a plan. So the obvious question is why? Or we could ask, what, was, what is the purpose of consigning all to disobedience? And what we've read in verses 30 and 31, and what Paul says in verse 32, makes God's purpose abundantly clear. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that, here it is, he may have mercy on all. God planned these times, these phases of disobedience for a purpose. So that he might have mercy on all. 
Again, not, not, not on every individual, but on the Jews and the Gentiles. So my point is, if you're wondering, that these phases of disobedience are planned by God. They're not accidental. I mean, they even, will, they even have their beginnings and their ending points. God is in control. They don't surprise God. God not, is not being forced to react to these unforeseen circumstances. They are, in fact, part of His plan to achieve His purposes. They're happening in order that God's mercy might be received by all, both Jews and Gentiles. And that leads us to phase three. Phase one, time of Gentile disobedience. Phase two, time of Jewish disobedience. And phase three, the time of mercy for Gentiles. Back to verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, phase one, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So phase, we'll see, phase uh, two and three are happening at the same time. In this third phase, in God's plan, uh, Gentiles receive mercy. They receive compassion from God. They uh, don't deserve it, haven't earned it, but they receive the mercy of God. Again, not every single Gentile, but the gen it's, it's talking about the, the Gentiles are now receiving the mercy of God. At this time, God is giving mercy to Gentiles. And this happens because of phase two, because of their, their the Jews' disobedience. So phase two and three are basically happening at the same time. And these are the phases that we're in right now. So we need to camp here for a minute. This is the time when, when, as we saw last week in verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Same time. This is the time when God's mercy is being poured out upon the nations, upon the Gentiles, upon all peoples. God is sending the gospel to the nations during uh, this time. And at the same time, a hardening, a disobedience is upon Israel. And during this time, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. God will have mercy upon uh, the full number of Gentiles. We don't know what that number is. We don't know when that will take place. But notice that God has been very purposeful as He's directed redemptive history to phase three, to where we are now. He didn't plan for Gentiles to receive mercy until after the disobedience of Israel. Phase 3 began with the coming and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ after the Jews rejected their Messiah. God waited approximately 2,000 years from the time of Abraham uh, to the time of Christ. And during that time, phase 1... God's primary interaction was with Israel, which included, uh, I mean, and that's reflected in the Old Testament, right? We often wonder, why did God do it that? Well, this is, this is the answer here. That phase one, during that phase one, as the, uh, the Gentiles were living in disobedience to God, uh, God working with Israel and, and producing the, the Old Testament, producing the Word of God, Specifically, producing the law. Now, what was the purpose of the law? So, the need for a savior to reveal sin, right? 
That's what Paul wrote, uh, speaking personally in Romans 7, 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The purpose of the law is to show the extent of our disobedience to God. Now that's not to say the purpose of the law isn't to show this is God's holy standard and we should be following after that. But we fail to do that. And so ultimately the purpose of the law in our lives is to show us we can't keep the law. And therefore, the law magnifies our need for mercy. What I mean by that is, without the law, we would not know sin. And without the knowledge of the depths of our sin, that's what Paul says, if I didn't have the law, I wouldn't have known my covetousness was sin. Without the law, we wouldn't know the depths of our sin. We wouldn't understand how sinful we were. And therefore, we would not understand the heights of God's great mercy for us. It's only when we know we're sick that we can rejoice that we're cured, right? If you have some disease and you don't even know it and some cure comes to you, you you never even think about it. So now in phase three, as the gospel goes forth to the nations, it includes, you know, you don't just go in, hopefully, uh, we have a missionary to Albania here. I could ask her, but I already know the question. You don't just go in with the New Testament. You go in with the whole Bible, right? You provide uh, the foundation. When we were uh, working in Thailand, uh, I don't know if it was at that time or before, but it was like brought in this, this new revolutionary thing. You know, we're, we're starting with the gospel sometimes, and they don't even understand their sin. We need to start in Genesis. And so God provided Genesis through Malachi. Uh, and then he brings in this, this new time for the gospel to go forth. So as we go forth with the gospel, we're taking the law with us so that people can see their sin and so they can rejoice in the mercy of God. And I'd be remiss, I think, if, if I didn't take this opportunity to remind us that God has called us to be part of phase three. You know, phase one and two are, well, phase one is done. Phase two is having God's, having hardened Israel. It's happening now. Phase three is now for us. As Gentiles, we are uh, first recipients of God's mercy. By God's grace, as the gospel went forth into your life, into my life, and as we responded in faith, we received the mercy of God. We were saved from our sins. We were forgiven. We were declared righteous and justified before God. And we were saved into this eternal relationship with God. So we've received God's mercy. We're part of that all in verse 32. Uh, all. That, they may have mercy, that He may have mercy on all. We get to be part of that all. And now... God calls us to to take part in taking His mercy to the world. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has received the mercy of God, I'm going to sort of add my little notes in here, because if you're in Christ, then you have received the mercy of God. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've experienced transformation. Transformation. All this is from God who gave His mercy 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God in mercy was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The message of God's mercy has been entrusted to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Receive the mercy of God is the message that we're to take into the world. And those who've received the mercy, that's us. We're now given this ministry. And that ministry is to proclaim the message of reconciliation, that God offers mercy and and reconciliation, relationship to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We are part of phase three. We're part of God's plan for pouring out his mercy into the Gentile world. We're part of his plan for bringing uh, in the fullness of the Gentiles. So I'd encourage each of us this morning to realize that we're part of this phase where we are in redemptive history to realize the mercy we've received, to realize that God is wanting to pour out his mercy on the Gentiles and those are uh, the vast majority of the people around us. And he also, and we've talked about this, he's, he's good to pour out some mercy to the remnant of Jews at this time too, so don't skip over them. So we can share this message of mercy, this message of reconciliation with the world around us. And God, that's, that's what God's doing right now. So phase three is now. It's the time of mercy for Gentiles. And then phase four, the time of mercy for Israel. This is what we saw last week. Verses 25, 26. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And we're not going to go over this again. Just, just remember, remind you. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And this is what we see again in verse 31. So they too have now, they, Israel, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, because God has shown mercy to the Gentiles in this mysterious way he talked about earlier, they, Israel, also may now receive mercy. There will come a time when Israel would receive mercy. The fourth phase will be ushered in when the full number of the Gentiles come in. When the mercy of God has fully gone forth to the nations. So we can be a part of uh, ushering in this fourth phase, right? As we uh, go to the nations, taking the gospel, the mercy of God. And then God in his mercy will... uh, mysteriously remove this hardening from Israel and they in mass will receive the Messiah and the people, not every individual, but the people as a whole will be saved. And notice the exact wording of verse 31 so that that you can see even a little strangeness here, a mystery here of Israel's salvation. So they too, the Jews, have now been disobedient in order that What's the purpose? The purpose is their own salvation. They're disobedient for the purpose of their own salvation. Listen, uh, sal- it's their own sal- by the salvation of the Gentiles. Jews have, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to the Gentiles, they also may now receive mercy. In other words, God's plan, His plan, not my plan, 
That means it's better than my plan would be. He planned that Israel would come to its fullest experience of mercy only by the mercy shown to the Gentiles. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this will come up, come about. I mean, my, the picture in my mind is uh, as the fullness of the Gentiles come in, somehow Israel says, "Wow, this God is something's happening with these people." We, he talked about the jealousy, and they want that. And so they begin to turn to God. As Israel sees the mercy of God being poured out upon the fullness of the Gentiles, it will cause them to yearn for that mercy and turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So those are the four phases of God's plan for salvation. And since the phases are dealing with uh, Jews and Gentiles, I mean, this is how God has chosen to, to divide humanity and human history. Let me summarize. From the time of Abraham, the, sort of the, in, in some ways, the first Jew chosen by God, when God, for his purposes, uh, for our good and for his glory, created the division between Jews and Gentiles. So phase one, review here, the time of, the gen, of Gentile disobedience would be from the time of Abraham, not the, I mean, Everybody was Gentiles, in a sense, before that. I don't know what time that would be. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ. Time of Gentile disobedience. Phase two, the time of Jewish disobedience would be from the time of Christ to today and beyond until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Phase three, the time of mercy to the Gentiles. Same as phase two, from the time of Christ to today and beyond. Our phase, this is right now. Phase four, the time of mercy to Israel. This is uh, coming in the future, following the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, when God again focuses his mercy on Israel. Okay? Everybody clear? Yeah, okay. So let me conclude by asking this question. This is the crucial question. If you didn't get anything, uh, get this. Why is this God's plan? Why do you think God orchestrated redemptive history this way? I mean, we understand why uh, his, his plan includes mercy, right? Because it must. Because we are sinners and we can't save ourselves. We can only be saved. We can only be redeemed. Redemptive history. If God pours out his mercy on us. But why does his plan of salvation include disobedience? And let me propose what might be a shocking answer. God's plan of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles includes disobedience, unbelief, sin, in order that the glory of God's mercy is fully revealed. You see, we tend to think of history, we tend to think of history uh, being about us, right? We're the center of our universe. Even as Christians, we tend to think the point of redemptive history is for God to redeem, to save us. But what if uh, we're not the main point? What if the point of redemptive history is not the redeemed, but the redeemer? What if God and his glory is, is are the main point of all human history and any other history what if the Westminster Shorter Catechism is correct and the chief end, the purpose of man, of all humanity, Jews and Gentiles, is to glorify God 
and enjoy Him forever. What if that's true? What if we were merely greatly blessed instruments in God's purpose to reveal His own glory? Then this becomes very clear. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. In God's plan of salvation, our disobedience serves the purpose of displaying His glorious mercy. And not only is mercy, but its results. I mean, mercy is maybe the foundational thing. That, uh, I didn't go into this too much. But as a result of God having compassion on us, we experience His grace. We experience His love. We experience His forgiveness, His kindness we sang about this morning. Let me take it a step further. And here I may be stepping a little too far on a limb, but, but I don't think so. What if there were no disobedience, no sin? I mean, we, we tend to think that, that would be good. What if there were no fall? If Adam and Eve had avoided that tree completely, and you say, well, that's not possible. And I say, well, with God, all things are possible. And God says, I'm God and there is no other. I'm God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Do you actually think God could not have created a world without sin? Some people believe that God created um, Adam and Eve and the only thing he could do was create them sinful because everything besides him is sinful. I, I don't buy that at all. He's the one who put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the garden. He's the one who allowed Adam and Eve to be tempted by the serpent. He's the one who created people who could disobey him. He's the one who knew they, human beings, would sin. And the fact that he still created, and the fact that he's all-powerful, and the fact that he declares the end from the beginning, and the fact that all his purposes will be accomplished means that from the beginning... Sin, disobedience, unbelief was part of his plan and his purposes. Why? And here it is, with maybe the most shocking thing of all, without sin, we would not know the extent of God's mercy. Because his mercy and what flows from it, his love and grace and forgiveness are fully revealed when there are people, beings, Jews and Gentiles in need of mercy and love and grace and forgiveness. Without human sin, God's character, the fullness of his nature, his glory is not revealed. And therefore disobedience is part of God's plan so that his glorious mercy and more might be revealed in ways it could not otherwise be seen. And humanity is not the center of God's plan, but God himself is. And we are just the ones who benefit from his desire to show forth his glorious mercy. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure I'm, I like being this instrument in God's purposes to reveal his glorious mercy. And I would uh, just suggest you rethink that position. Because there's no better thing to be to be an instrument that reveals the mercy of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we were created. That's the kind of instrument I pray I am and I pray we all want to be. An instrument like the Apostle Paul who concluded Romans 11 by saying, for, for, 
From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. It's all about God. Everything is from Him and through Him and to Him. All of it, including and especially our lives. All of it, including our disobedience. And this, I, I want to refer us back to this banner that I began with that is our responsibility. He didn't use the word caused. He used the word consigned. It's our responsibility, our disobedience. But in our disobedience, God's glory is revealed and it's part of His plan. And so as we come to the communion table, let us come to glorify God by receiving His mercy, by being those instruments of His mercy. Mercy provided to us through the broken body and spilt blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I pray, as I conclude this part, the part of the message, and as we move into communion, I just ask that the worship team and the, the ushers would come forward. Lord God, help us. Help us, Lord, in our pride, in our self-centeredness. Help us to see beyond those things, to help us to, to uh, uh, through your Spirit, to, to remove those things from our lives, to see that you're the center of all things. Lord, and allow us to rejoice in the fact that you've chosen us to be instruments of your mercy. Allow us to be transformed into people who glorify and honor you because you've chosen us to bestow your mercy upon, Father. And be with us now as we celebrate just that crucial point in human history where your mercy uh, found uh, the, the, the place of the cross that you died for us. Lord, help us as we celebrate, uh, remember your death this morning.